And today's reading is Genesis 1, 31 through chapter 2, verse 3, and Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. This can be found on pages 4 and 71 of the Bibles nearby, and it'll be on the screen. Genesis chapter 1. This is God's word. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But, the sev- but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore... The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we come into this room, and the truth is we're more of a mess than we care to admit to to the people around us. We don't want people to know how restless our hearts are, and we don't want people to see or to hear about or know about the ways we express that restlessness. And we come to you in this time exploring the story of grace that comes from your scriptures. The more we listen, the more we hear that big, grand story that ends with Jesus and climaxes with him. The more we enter into that story, the more we see that even though we're more of a mess than we want to admit, there is more love and acceptance in you than we ever dreamed because of what Christ Jesus has done on our behalf. May we enter the eternal rest that comes from that grace. And may you use that grace to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're talking about the Sabbath, and an interesting thing uh, happened once through a psychologist, a disciple of Freud's, he once identified a disorder. His name was Sandor Ferensky, and he, he identified a disorder he called Sunday neurosis. Every Sunday, or in the case of a Jewish patient, every Saturday, the Sunday neurotic developed a headache or a stomachache or an attack of depression. After ruling out purely physiological causes, Ferensky figured out what was bothering his patients. They were suffering from the Sabbath. The day of rest was literally driving them nuts. And maybe you can imagine if, if we're going to talk about Sabbath for three weeks in a row, you, you think that might drive you nuts. Or to truly enter into really one week of stopping and hitting the pause button, truly hitting that button once a week, you just might go crazy, go bonkers. 
What do you do? It might give you a panic attack just thinking about it. But the thing is, you know, we're so disconnected from a Sabbath day that we don't even have that problem anymore of people who have Sunday neurosis because we're not even close enough to it or celebrating it enough or have a cultural ethos of it enough that anybody would really have that problem. I'm guessing most of you don't have that, that close connection to Sabbath observance. So the Sabbath is not actually meant to drive you nuts. It's meant to be a delight. And we're going to explore for three weeks the delightfulness of the Sabbath. Listen to this Isaiah 58, this passage about Sabbath. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, if you call the Sabbath a delight, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land. We're going to try to reconnect as, as far removed we are from Sabbath. We're going to try for three weeks to reconnect and reclaim some semblance of a Sabbath day and hope that it's a delight. Today we're going to talk about how it's delightfully sacred time. Delightfully sacred time. Judith Shulevitz writes an article in the New York Times in 2003 called Bring Back the Sabbath. And she talks about how far removed our culture is from Sabbath observance. In fact, she says that in our culture, we, we feel like we can shift time and we almost take pride in that. That you can just shift something that was maybe once considered a weekday thing and move it to the week, weekend or to the evenings. And we take pride in that, almost like their time has no sacredness to it. It's just a commodity to move around for our benefit. So she says, we knock over barriers between us and the perpetual motion machine that is the marketplace with the glee you might expect of insomniacs who have been chained for too long to their beds. She goes on to say that um, about, she talks about workaholism. Let's see if I can find it here. She says, um, the, she says that basically... He's, this guy, Ferensky, who noticed the Sunday neurosis thing, was describing something that basically has a resemblance to what we now call workaholism, and it's become the norm, so that the Sabbath, the one day in seven dedicated to rest by a divine command, has become the holiday Americans most likely never take. And maybe some of it's because we feel uh, like, like Bilbo Baggins when he said, you know, it's like I'm, I'm too little butter spread over too much toast. And that's the, the way we're always going about life. And so to steal a phrase from a colleague, preacher friend of mine that I was listening to this week, we overwork and then we overrelease. We're out of whack and out of balance. Some of you are already shaking your head. You, I don't have to explain it. Too, too much for you. Overwork. We, we get ourselves into a place that feels unnatural. We're, we're spinning too fast on the treadmill of validating ourselves through what we do and chasing after commitments and expectations. 
We get ourselves in unhealthy places, and we have that feeling like, I'm out of balance. I'm out of whack. But we get ourselves out so often and so regularly that we, need, that we find regular ways of over-releasing. We need things out of the ordinary. We need extra things to kind of jolt us fast, to make us get sort of a buzz or a hit of relaxation. So we go to alcohol, or we go to pornography, or we go to some drug, or we even can sort of misuse exercise, if you believe me that that's possible, is, is a sort of quick hit of you know, dopamine and adrenaline to sort of answer the things being out of whack, instead of just enjoying any of those things just for their created value. Overwork and over-release. I wonder if you resonate with that at all. If you sit here and you feel like, yep, that's my life. I'm, I'm naturally, throughout my life, pulled away from the idea of a Sabbath day. There's always a pull. There's always a pull. And that's my defi- default drive. I think that's all of us. Our, the default drive of the human heart is to be pulled away constantly from any sense of a Sabbath day. And you know what God, God's default move is? His default move is to graciously, to graciously give you a command in an open door invitation to celebrate the Sabbath day, to invite you into the sacredness that time can be. He's proactively inviting you throughout the Bible into Sabbath rest. Are you ready for it a little bit today? In Genesis chapter, these, these parts that we read in Genesis and Exodus, God says, or the, Genesis says, that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And then what does he say to the people of Israel? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. He, do you catch that? Until I looked at this closely in the last couple of weeks, that connection was lost on me. God did something on the seventh day to make time, to make a part of time holy. And then he says to us, essentially, that you can help keep it holy. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it, I'm not really sure what to say that means exactly. Um, there's, a, there's an old Jewish story from a book written in 1877 um, called Poet and Merchant by Berthold Auerbach, Ar- Ar- something like that. So this Jew- Jewish writer writes this book. It's like a novel. And there's this, this old story that is told in the book. Once a rabbi was kept um, by his persecutors in a cave where not a ray of light could reach him so that he knew not when it was day or when it was night. Nothing tormented him so much as the thought that he was now hindered from celebrating the Sabbath with song and prayer, as he had been wont to do from his youth. Beside this, an almost unconquerable desire to smoke caused him much pain, and he worried and reproached himself that he could not conquer his passion. All at once he perceived that it suddenly vanished. A voice said within him, Now it is Friday evening. For this was always the hour when my longing for that which is forbidden on the Sabbath regularly left me. Joyfully, he rose up and with loud voice thanked God and blessed the Sabbath day. 
So it went from week to week. His tormenting desire for tobacco regularly vanished at the incoming of each Sabbath day. Now, is that just a goofy story to pass on, a little myth? Or is it maybe some kind of hint at how entering into this door that God opens up into the sacredness of Sabbath, how it might be something that you can keep holy and might have a holiness and a sacredness to it as you enter into it? Well, let me, let me read a couple more enticing quotes that I think make us realize how beautiful and sacred Sabbath can be. This is Abraham Heschel, who writes a book called The Sabbath in the middle of the last century. He says, The difference between the Sabbath and all other days is not to be noticed in the physical structure of things, in their spatial dimension. Things do not change in that day. There is only a difference in the dimension of time, in the relation of the universe to God. He goes on, he says, He says, the air of the day surrounds us like spring which spreads over the land without our aid or notice. He says, we arrive at the seventh day and the Sabbath is endowed with a felicity which enraptures the soul, which glides into our thoughts with a healing sympathy. It is a day on which hours do not oust one another. It is a day that can soothe all sadness away. And last quote from Abraham Heschel, the Sabbath is the most precious present mankind has received from the treasure house of God. All week we think the spirit is too far away and we succumb to spiritual absenteeism. Or at best we pray, send us a little of thy spirit. On the Sabbath, the spirit stands and pleads, accept all excellence from me. Does that, any of that make you want to enter into the Sabbath a little bit and have some of that for yourself? Can I get an amen from someone? I don't know. Something? Something? Eric, you, you do that. Come on. Yeah, there we go. I need to be supported up here. Well, maybe your hesitancy has to do with this. I mean, okay, so you realize I'm disconnected from Sabbath, but, and this is enticing, and I want some of this, but... Maybe, you, maybe your hesitancy is that you know that feels a little too legalistic. How would I enter into this in a way that doesn't feel like putting up all these boundaries and a list of things I'm not supposed to do? That doesn't feel very life-giving. How do you deal with that? Maybe you're even a little you know, further advanced and you say, well, I even know that in the Bible we're already starting to see that the early Christians were not hanging on to the Sabbath in the same way. And they're Jews. And they were, as soon as the Jesus thing happened, they were kind of, tossing it to the side in some way. It wasn't the same for them anymore. In fact, they started doing their worship meetings on Sunday. So maybe you're looking at that angle. How do we deal with this? We're alienated from it. It's it's a wonderful gift of God to enter the sacredness of his time. But how do we look at it now, standing today after Jesus, with Jesus' grace being predominant in our life? Well, let me talk about that a second before we kind of close up on this topic for today. This is three weeks in a row, so... Not all the questions are going to be answered, but this is an opening framework. If you comprehend Jesus, if you have entered into who Jesus is and what he does and what that means for Christians, then you can look back at the law in the Old Testament and the laws in the Old Testament and the fourth commandment 
in the Old Testament, which is the Sabbath one, and you can realize what one of my professors in seminary said, that the law in the Old Testament was damage control for a very broken world. It was a gift to the people of God, but it was damage control. And you can see now, after Jesus and his death and resurrection and ascension, you can see, looking back, the insufficiency of the Torah and all its laws in bringing about all the redemption that God was going to bring and all the wholeness. You can see that it's not quite enough to get us as far as now the promises are in Jesus. And so you see, one of the things Jesus said is that I don't come to abolish the law and throw it away. I come to fulfill it. Another scripture that is fulfilled in Jesus is that old one that says, um, in that day, sort of this new era of a Messiah, the law will be written on your hearts. What does that look like? Um, even, even the best Jewish theology acknowledges the limitations of the law. And so in the introduction to this book called The Sabbath that I just referred to, the daughter of the author writes this, strict adherence to the laws regulating Sabbath observance doesn't suffice. What? The goal is creating the Sabbath as a foretaste of paradise. The Sabbath is a metaphor for paradise and a testimony to God's presence in our prayers. So this is a Jewish outlook on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a metaphor. In our prayers, we anticipate a messianic era that will be a Sabbath. And each Shabbat prepares us for, what, for that experience. She quotes, Unless one learns how to relish the taste of Sabbath, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. That's good Sabbath theology. But guess what? We're now in the messianic era. Jesus has come. And so we, and it's sort of, this is for another sermon, but we're sort of already, but not yet. Because Jesus hasn't come a second time. But we can already live into a new reality where this is, we're part of an eternal Sabbath. The Christian, so she, she said strict adherence to laws about the Sabbath are not enough. The Christian would say, what is enough? Strict adherence to Jesus. And strict adherence and aggressive adherence and clinging to the grace of Jesus and the good news of Jesus. Jesus is enough. And then you can turn and look back at the Old Testament laws and they can, they can be a gift again. They can be sweet to you. Because they're fulfilled in Jesus. They're not where you get life, but they're in them. You can even understand Jesus better, and you can understand what you're given in Jesus and how Jesus' grace needs to express itself in your life. John Calvin was the 16th century uh, Reformed scholar of the Bible, and as he dug through the pages over and over in the Old Testament, he made a distinction that's really helpful to understand the Old Testament laws. He said there's examples of moral expressions of laws. There's civic expressions of law. There's ceremonial expressions of laws. And in Jesus, he is abrogated. As Christians, we read back and we go, how do we deal with all these laws? Jesus abrogated the ceremonial and the civic, but the moral is still there. The heart of the commandments is still there. And that's why as a kid, I grew up hearing the, in the church I went to, 
they had this good, strong theology about the Old and New Testament. So I heard the Ten Commandments almost every Sunday, um, which felt a little bit irrelevant to me at the time. And uh, except for the fu- the fact that it was fun, because you might hear the preacher say the word "ass," you know, "ox and ass." Nobody, nobody. Do not covet your neighbor's ox and ass. You know that was that just seemed like a little moment of giggles in church growing up. But I'm more likely now, as someone who's tasted God's grace a lot more since that moment, to look to them as life-giving sparks of understanding how to adhere to Jesus more. Because the Christian who's been changed by God's grace is kind of propelled out by that grace to explore ways to adhere more to Jesus, to cling more to Jesus, to express grace more, to go deeper and deeper. And so you can look at the Ten Commandments and say, that's a spark for my creative adherence to Jesus. As I look at them, and you can, if you wonder how that works, look at how Jesus takes it to the level of the heart in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about murder and, and says, well, okay, you didn't kill anyone, but how about hate? And you kind of go, oh, wait a second. Is that fair? That went really, you know. And then, you know, he says, okay, adultery. Okay, I've kept sex within the bounds of marriage, but um, what about lust? Looking at someone lustfully. And you say, oh, wait a minute. That's, you know, it's so broad and they're so big and they're, they're so suggestive of all the places in your life that grace needs to land and forgive you and help you live with grace and help you live in grace. And so you can look at the Sabbath command and say, well, here's a place to find all kinds of grace, um, the grace of Jesus. Friends, one of my little soapboxes that I, that I could kind of step onto as I'm just explaining all that is that Christians, as Christians, we need to get over looking at the Bible as a book of rules. And just like pursuing it as this book of rules. And instead, we need to pursue it even more vigorously, but as a story that's cultivating your Jesus adherence. Um, So there's one last item of business, um, Sabbath business. It's going to take a lot of work to figure this Sabbath stuff out. Did you get that? All right. A little delay, a little delay. All right, all right. Last item of business. What is, how does Jesus, if we talk about Jesus fulfills the, fulfills the old covenant and all the laws, how does Jesus fulfill the Sabbath? Jesus did on the cross all the work for you that, that's ever required in God's eyes. Jesus accomplished all the work that ever might be required of you by God on the cross definitively. Jesus completed all the work that's required of you so that you could enter his rest. So that you could enter the rest of someone whose work is done. And I'm not talking about the work in your garden. I'm not talking about the work at your job. I'm talking about the deep foundational layer of the work we, we feel like we need to do, the restlessness we feel to make ourselves okay to finally get acceptance, to finally to feel validated. Jesus has done all the work that's required of you, and he's done it on your behalf so that you can already enter the rest of one whose work is completed. What is there left to do but enjoy God's rest? 
And you know what? The Sabbath was about this all along, actually. Um, In Exodus chapter 31, when the Sabbath is talked about again, there's lots of little Sabbath passages in the Bible. This is what the Lord said to Moses. This will be a sign. Remember when that other quote said it's it's an emblem of eternal rest, a sign of eternal rest? This will be a sign between me and you for generations to come so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. It's a sign. The Sabbath is a sign that it is God who makes you holy. And guess what? That's what we learn with Jesus in the New Testament, that Jesus is the one who makes you holy in God's sight. The Sabbath was pointing to Jesus all along and the state of rest you have through Jesus. So you don't religiously burden yourself with Sabbath rules. That's not where we're going with this. In order to get on God's good side. But you might just as aggressively pursue Sabbath to enjoy that you're already on God's side. And that's the deal with trying to be a Christian is to live like grace is true. So hard to live as if grace is true in your life. That's the challenge. And the Sabbath, whether you want to do it on Sunday or Saturday or some other day, the Sabbath is here to help you in that. To help you learn to live as if grace is true. Are you utilizing it at all? It's a gift. Now, I hope like if, if you're in a place where you're not a Christian yet, I hope that you can see in this something that there is to admit that There's an appeal of Jesus being God's gift to settle your deep inner restlessness. Or as um, Judith Shulovitz in that article I mentioned at the beginning, as she says, he can settle, or the Sabbath works on settling the inner murmur of self-reproach. And you see that Jesus is the gift to answer that, to settle that. I hope that's attractive a little bit. I hope that if you're a Christian... You're chomping at the bit a little bit today for two more sermons on Sabbath. (laughs) I wasn't going to say that. That was a little on the fly, Mark Holland right there. I was going to say chomping at the bit and salivating for more of God's rest and more grace that can settle your heart. So consider as we close, what if until you open the Sabbath door to God's sacred time, What if until you do that, you're only going to have a sense of God at arm's length, God just out of reach? Let's pray. Our gracious God, help us as we explore the Sabbath, not from religiosity perspective, but from grace and Jesus perspective. Help us as a church to have renewal and revival around radical trust in your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.